In the words of Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Today we're talking about Ferrari and Haas but first of all, the Ferrari team principal Fred Vasseur says that Red Bull's flawless start of the season is partly owing to the constructor being handed a quote very light punishment for breaking the sports budget cap back in 2021. The head of the new fourth place constructors quoted as saying Red Bull have done a very good job but the penalty they were given last Last October, which is basically a seven million pounds in terms of dollars fine and a ten percent reduction in annual wind tunnel development time, was quote very low. In response to this, Red Bull team principal Christian Horner has described the penalty when it's first given out. That is, as very harsh and pretty draconian. So after his team exceeded the sports budget cap by just over one point eight million pounds. That's dollars pounds it rather in uh, 2021 so does Fred have a point or is it just a case of maybe sour grapes to a point uh, let's go with Angus I think I still maintain I think I said this last year in the uh, the wake of the punishment being handed out I think that it's a lenient punishment overall one which I think not the Red Bull have got away with it but definitely it's it's, it's one which is is uh Lenient when you look at especially the start they've made to the season, how they've also had some uh, reduction in aero uh, time and wind tunnel time, and yet they are still four or five tenths clear of everyone. So I can see why old Fred would say that it's a uh, a punishment which is quite uh, lenient and quite sort of forgiving. At the same time. I take your point on sour grapes. Um, I thought it was savage comment to refer to them as the fourth place constructor, specifically stating facts, of course. Oh, they but are, yeah. Go on. They, yeah, stating facts, but uh, a savage way to describe their season, and one which would make you think uh, if they were further up the championship, they wouldn't necessarily be pointing the finger at Red Bull. And at the same time, I think that Fred Vasseur has not gone and stood out in front of the press and said this in isolation. It would have been in response to a question he's been asked in a media briefing. But yes, it does um it does show that there's kind of it's not all right at Ferrari and maybe we have to give him the benefits of the doubt for now, some time to uh implement the changes which he's trying to bring in uh in a Ferrari team which is I mean in its good moments last year could arguably have been said to be rather broken. Um and perhaps we need to give them time, but for now, yes, it does seem, whilst the punishment was lenient, is he pointing the finger elsewhere, arguably? Well, it's hard to tell, isn't it? And 
what would Formula One be without the angry outcries from the opposition paired <laughs> with the denial from the, the team in, in question? And it's not only Red Bull that have had these, shall we say, brushes up against uh, the grey areas of Formula One. Other teams have had their fair share of conflict with the paddock and with the FIA. Ferrari had their engine, which um, we've said before in this podcast was not necessarily illegal, but certainly in the deepest grey areas of Formula One um, legality. And Mercedes had the, the DAS system where they could change the um, the sort of camber of the, the wheels and the tur alignment to make it um, they could pull the steering wheel and that was very fun and, and that was also in the grey areas and other teams said oh it's illegal and the FIA ruled one way or the other and every every team is always going to say whatever punishment they get is deeply unfair you know it's oh such a fatal wound to us and the other team's going oh it's a mere scratch you know hit them harder um, mm. really grab them by the jugular and unfortunately this is just a case of Red Bull I think not yet having the the damage um sort of impacting them yet and it will eventually it, i think this is a bit like a an affection the, the reduction of wind tumble time you know it may not seem all that impactful now but later down the line when the infection spreads it starts to impact the the team a little bit more as they can't develop the car further now uh, it's worth pointing out though that a lot of this this punishment relies on other teams playing catch up yeah so if you if you were to look at it from a, another perspective, you may say, well, look, what the FIA have done is effectively crippled Red Bull in a, a way that still keeps them relatively competitive, but definitely hampers their overall performance and their, their you know, especially this year. If everyone else is going to tie their own feet together with poor designs, that's not <laughs> Red Bull's fault. And... Mm-hmm. Ferrari have said that there's big things coming. Mercedes are having to change their design as well. So I'd put it to to Fred, um, you know, best friend Freddie, that actually <laughs> they've got to get off, you know, get off the, the, the starting line and get themselves into gear and start producing a car that can challenge Red, uh, Red Bull now so that when, the, when the, the punishment really takes effect, they can do better. It You know, it's... I think a pretty lame excuse if you're not winning the championship to point the finger at the FIA and and make the argument of well oh you should have you should have uh, hampered them more that's that's not mm-hmm. a way to win the sport that's it's just moaning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a very negative way of thinking I concur and I think when you against Red Bull, not a Red Bull fan wanting them to do poorly and you see them doing so well to start with, you go, oh, well, that's ridiculous. The penalty clearly has no effect, but it is, as we say, more of a drip-drip effect and I'd be surprised if we have this sort of scale of dominance from Red Bull and to an extent Aston Martin as well being the, the number two if that were to remain at such the degree that it is really. But if it does, then I think question marks have to you know, hang over this penalty. Was it harsh enough? when you're exceeding the cost cap by a fair margin of over a million, I find that hard to believe that's by accident, so to speak. That's very much a misinterpretation, granted, but that is a big gap, and that can make a difference owing to what we saw, for example, or even said last episode, that rebuilding cars is, let's say, half a million pounds if it's really bad, or you know, even minor things can cost hundreds of thousands of pounds, so it does make a big difference, but... It is very easy. It's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it, for, for for Ferrari to go, well, look, you know, 
the reason we're doing badly is because someone over here cheated and didn't get found out about it when they're tripping over their own feet. Mercedes are making the same mistake and Aston Martin have burst out from the pack but are still not too close really to, to Red Bull. But I think as Christian Horner said, it was very important they made this positive start, got this good ground in front of them and, and made that up while their competitors were perhaps you know realigning themselves because I think there's, there is going to be a closing up of the pack come later on and... Um, I think they're acutely aware of that. Unlike McLaren, they couldn't really afford to go and miss their deadlines or internal targets or anything like that because they'd be reaping, let's say, the the worst effects of them, really. But, um, yeah, it's not an answer. It's not a topic where there's going to be clear consensus. There's always going to be a division of opinion. And in years to come, no doubt, they'll be, oh, well... Red Bull should have been disqualified at 2023, but then you can go and say, well, ex-constructor could have been disqualified or hampered further because of, let's say, brake ducts, for example, if you're bracing point, now Aston Martin. So it's yet another element of controversy, I say, in the sport, but I'd be very much surprised if at the FIA, Formula One, anyone involved in the sport goes, hmm, let's make this really spicy come the last quartile of the calendar and go and dock them by even more. And by even more wind tunnel time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very much mudslinging. Um, but it is a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free get card, really. But do you think that Ferrari are capable of closing the gap? Are they the ones to go and bring the fight to Red Bull? Or are they very much going to be staying where they are and maybe rising to third? But not much more than that. Well, we can certainly talk about Ferrari in, in a moment. But I just, if I can, circle you back to the punishment. I want you to imagine, both of you, that you are the, the FIA stewards, the 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 rulers of F1, <laughs> our glorious dictators at the top, looking down at us like the eyes of Sauron. And uh, you've been mm. presented with the, this quandary yourself and you have to pick a, a punishment. Would you would you have gone harsher than the FIA? Would you have been more lenient than them? Or do you think you would have stuck to a, a very similar sort of level of punishment? I think it's laughable to start with that there's some people saying, well, they breached the cost caps, they breached the budget, so therefore they should be disqualified from the sport for, let's say, a year or indefinitely. I think it's quite clear to me who's saying that and why they're saying it, but I'll leave others to go and decide what I'm really hinting at there. But um, I think maybe a bit more wind tunnel time. I think that would have hit them a bit more than, let's say, an increase of that fine to, let's say, 10 billion US dollars or something akin to that. But um, maybe perhaps it could have been better for Red for the FIA, the powers that be, to go and draw the uh, the sanction, the penalty out further because at the moment the uh, the wind tunnel time reduction only hits them at a certain point when I think there should have been an immediate hit or a more immediate hit come the start of the season, which I don't really think we've seen as far yet. But that may be owing to Red Bull engineering their way out of a, a difficult situation, shall we say. I've already said I think the punishment was too lenient. Um it's. I think it was almost like the the FIA didn't want to uh, cause too much of an upset, really, or didn't have the bottle to cause too much of it, or didn't have the bottle to not cause too much of an upset. Um, I think that it was clear that not. I don't want to be the person who says, "Oh, they should have punished them heavily because they're the strongest team and they should be punished as such." Um, I think the punishment had to be fair, but. I think it's clear, even with a harsh, even with a harsher punishment, say a bigger fine or redu- even more reduced wind tunnel time, Red Bull would still be up there. It's not like he'd be taking away their like chopping off their wings, so to speak, um, and really preventing them from competing. Like 
they would have still been competing, I think, even with a harsher punishment, which shows that the fine itself was too lenient and also the went on time. I agree with Tom about the disqualification point. I think that that was a bit over the top, a bit reactionary. Um, but I think something more more draconian, but not not absolutely draconian, was necessary. What we're talking there, do you, when you say that, Angus? I reckon just well, like I say, just bigger, just a bigger fine. I think that if you look at the prize money that's handed out to a team that would win the constructors, such as Red Bull, um, seven million dollars just is a slice of that. Don't get me wrong; it's a large amount of money, but it's pales in comparison to what they'd usually earn. So I think a larger fine as a starter, definitely. Mm. It's, it's it's always going to be difficult because I think with the level of dominance that Red Bull had this year, in, it, no no punishment would have really had a massive effect. You could say, well, we're going to make you uh, go into negative points for the beginning of the season. Well, that's laughable if you look at that. I mean, what they're going to do? Dock them twenty points? Uh, that you know that sounds like a massive deal, and it would be a massive deal for for let's say Williams um, or Haas, but. You know they're going to be they're going to be looking at that, thinking, well, we can we can brush that off. And they've already developed the car. Fundamentally, the car that has come out this year is an enhancement of the major development work that they did from 2021 to 2022. So again, I I sort of reverse the I reverse Uno this back to Fred and say, well, <laughs> look, yeah, you could say to them, well, you've got even less wind tunnel time. We're going to dock you 30% of the already restricted uh, wind tunnel time that you had. But their car is just so good. It's so good. The power unit's good. The aero's already good. It's already been developed. That, that It's not going to make a difference this year. And I think if you're holding out for that, fans, if you're holding out for the massive change this year for another team to catch up, I think you're going to be waiting a long time. And I think we're going to be at least waiting to look after the summer break and for next year. Other other teams were already revising their cars to look, look more like Red Bull. Red Bull have already done it. It took us a long time to to break the Mercedes dominance from the turbo hybrid era, the early turbo hybrid era you know, up to 2014 to really, should we say 2021 or 2020? You know, it's not going to be overnight. But I I think the change is now going to be brought a little bit further forward due to the punishment the FIA gave. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And going back to that question of Ferrari, do you think they're the ones to go and bring that fight to Red Bull if Red Bull do slip, stumble, fall back, not be as dominant as before, or are Aston Martin or perhaps Mercedes want to do that? Because it's been a pretty sluggish start, really, for Ferrari when we look at this one compared to not only last season, but seasons gone by as well. Ferrari are not the ones to challenge Red Bull this year. Um, I think that's clear to see from not just a bit on the wrong end of some some bad luck, Um it wasn't Charles Leclerc's fault that he got tapped round into the gravel in Australia. It wasn't his fault that his engine gave up in uh, in Bahrain. But I just think that the car's not quick enough. They've been, what, the third or fourth fastest team so far this season. Aston Martin and Mercedes are more likely to take the challenge uh, mm. to Red Bull. Um, Aston Martin, I feel like, will end up becoming 
not just my number one favourite, but also possibly the neutrals' favourite with the uh, the way they've started and the way they've leapt up from uh, seventh to second, effectively at the moment. Mercedes again more of a threat than Ferrari. They simply they showed really good pace in Melbourne, being a tenth or two off uh, Verstappen in qualifying, take getting themselves into a position in the race where they could do something with it. Uh, before then throwing it away with the poorly timed pit stop for Russell and then the engine blowout. So Ferrari, definitely not on, on that list of who can challenge Red Bull. I think Ferrari look very, very nowhere, if that's a phrase. <laughs> very nowhere. Lost between <laughs> two signposts um, on on the road to success, some might say. Oh, what, what an analogy. Um, I can... <laughs> spitting verses for days um i don't think ferrari will be challenging this year either i think they they have fallen back to well they should we say what's 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 after best of of the rest second best of the rest let's go with that let's get their second third best of the rest now and they they don't have really a strategy to um uh to improve their car i think and that's evident from the the internal memo leaks i think is is the right way to describe that what's been emanating from marinello this this week and um, ferrari president john elkins said that the profound changes are underway within the walls of marinello in particular in the enhancement of sporting activity on the track wow that's coming from the big cheese the uh mm. the twin turbo v8 himself at the top president of ferrari i mean i mean i i i read that and thought well uh, Fred Fred is gonna be gone, <laughs> so hmm. I don't, don't think that's true. He said he just grappled his way up into the uh, the the highest manifestations of Ferrari executives. Um, but we there's no getting away from the fact that Ferrari need to turn it around somehow. And I think again, and this is a reference to something I've already spoken about in a previous podcast. They've developed their car around certain areas of the rules which are no longer viable specifically being able to run the car very very low and having the, the bendy floor i don't know if you remember the bendy floor oh. controversies of of last year well it looks like there that the, the floor can no longer bend in the same way or the mandated minimum height of the cars is also impacting ferrari in a way that they they couldn't um see uh, before they hadn't envisaged and it basically means that they're just not as efficient so i think the wind is blowing towards the red bull style of design we we can see from aston martin the success that can be achieved from redesigning and and basically you know having a cheeky side glance at someone else's homework you know you know if, the, if you're in class and there's a swat you know a kid that always gets everything right you're gonna peek at his homework aren't you you're gonna think ah. Oh, we should do what he's doing and getting all the right answers. So that's what I see at the moment. I think Ferrari, they had their, they had their moment in the sun. Um, the first four or five races of last year. I hope you enjoyed that Ferrari fans. And now they are, as I said, peeking at someone else's homework, getting the right answers. And I think big changes will be coming in the design of the Ferrari, which is a great shame. If I may just add quickly, because I think that Ferrari is one of the most beautiful formula one cars i have seen for a very long time absolutely i would contrary that by saying i don't think it's necessarily time for ferrari to panic 
because we look first of all looking at a very small sample size of only three races and there's been the last race where they've been hampered by some would say an unfair decision by the FIA taking away a fourth place add that in and they're peeking over there at a Mercedes shoulder if you will and they've really got to go and take away some reliability issues and they're back up there looking at third now third is not where Ferrari want to be let me be very very clear about that it's not a good season for them to finish third and be behind Aston Martin but I think it's one of those where they've had a lot of bad luck a lot of bad decisions as well and they've culminated in the first few races now the question is or what Ferrari do which is really important is how do they respond to this do they I suppose roll over and just accept the season as being a write-off we wait for the new car we go again next season we see this as a transition as part of a wider project or do we get up and go and I see someone like Carlos Sainz and uh, Charles Leclerc as being drivers who aren't prepared to wait so I see Ferrari being in a quandary where they have to go and bring developments quickly stop making mistakes quickly and rise up to third or albeit second possibly if that's even possible if Aston and carry on as they are so what I'm trying to say there is it's not a great start compared to last season by any stretch of the imagination or even the seasons gone by excluding the horror show that was 2020 but um yeah they need to go and improve themselves rather quickly and dare I say from optical sense going back to topic one their team principal going there should have been more punishment for another team but no no they did really well like you know fair enough you did really well but you cheated yeah it's fine um isn't really a great look and i think really we're expecting or i was at least expecting a bit of an impact from fred vassar and co to go and bring the party right here right now but um we'll see what happens but no need to panic at this moment but i think if we add on three four races and they're still where they are then it may be time to have some more uh systematic changes if you will but um how many times have we said that when it comes to Ferrari in terms of personnel, engineering, design and the rest? So um, it's in their hands, as normal, it's in Ferrari's hands to what they want to do and how they want to be in terms of just there for the fun, just there for the commercial aspect, for the image, all there to win races. So all lies on what happens and whether this change, that's, which we spoke about there, Tristan alluded to earlier, is actually going to be substantial change or just um, a nice sounding bit of change if you will but um do you think that is serious when they go and say there will be systematic change to ferrari from the very top or is that the same old story being trotted out again and again shall we say well here's here's a here's a question do you think the change uh, do you think the changes that could could be implemented may be well not as as limited to just the design of the car and perhaps some management changes although i think it's safe to say that fred sir is, is safe for in his seat for at least a year or so, two years. Mm-hmm. But what what about changing something a little bit more, uh, well, a little bit more f- uh, face fronting in the drivers? Do you think someone like Carlos mm. Sainz could be could be changed out? I think that'd be really tough. I don't know about you, Angus. I think that'd be very very harsh. Yeah, I think the drivers aren't necessarily the problem with Ferrari. I mean. If we look at the list, uh, not necessarily. I say not necessarily. It's fully my belief that Ferrari's drivers are not the problem. Um, <laughs> if we look at, if you look at the drivers that they've had since they last won the constructors' championship in two thousand eight, Felipe Massa, <coughs> Kimi Raikkonen, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz. Like <coughs> the drivers are not the problem. Those are all race-winning drivers. Some of them are championship-winning drivers. It's their personnel, and. It's a shame because you thought after their start last year and the way they hit the ground running, you thought to yourself, okay, maybe finally they've 
actually like hit the bu- hit the jackpot and they've managed to actually start to make a difference and to improve themselves but no we're back to the same old thing we're back to them um saying that they will have profound changes the only thing i say about these profound changes in quote marks is that I don't know about you two but i've never seen i mean i remember when um ferrari team principals would like get mentioned in in public i remember when luca de montezemolo was in charge of ferrari and even his his um his successor i think it was his name marchioni who used to come out and uh say things in public but john elkin uh, i've never heard from th- i knew he was the chairman of ferrari i'd heard his, heard his name thrown about but I'd, ne- I'd never heard him speak in public so perhaps he's um he's actually meaning business perhaps he is uh going to um bring in big changes i think the, the message is consistent with the fact that fred vasseur has very much come in and said fred vasseur is known for being a combative personality who very much wants his own way and sort of He's had great success in the junior formulas, at least, and also to an extent with Alfa Romeo last year, uh, acting like that. And that sort of uh, marries with that statement. All I'd say is that I also found, uh, it turns out that uh, John Elkin would probably wish his brother, uh, Lapo, would, um, would uh, Lapo, L-A-P-O, please tell me that's Lapo or Lapo. Um, Lapo. He is, um, yeah, I, I presume it's Lapo. I think it's Lapo. His, um, jo- Elkin's brother Lapo um, went on Twitter and posted this Ferrari Ferrari needs seriousness and winning team in the pits and outside it's time to wake up in capital letters enough with politics and games like this we will never win capital letters eight exclamation marks so um, maybe there you've got the contrast between the the, the contrast between the uh, the public statement from John Elkin and what's going on inside his brain uh, from Lapo on Twitter. There. <laughs> so um, I think I think I know which um, which statement I'd rather see out in public if I was uh, Mr. Elkin. You know, it's serious when they put eight exclamation marks on a tweet. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, let's have a chat about the two Haas drivers. One's in P9 in the drivers' championship with six points. The other is down in P17 with just one. Now, one hasn't had a permanent seat in the sport since uh, 2019, shall we say. The others race for them, that being Haas last year, and again between 2017 and 2020, making them the constructor's most successful driver to date. Now, you'd be forgiven, some would say, for thinking, oh, well, the latter of the two there has got to be the one in P9, and um, surely that old Hulkenberg, Mr. Comeback King, is surely going to be the one struggling down with one point. But no, alas, he's the one doing extremely well after returning to Formula 1 from a hiatus in terms of permanent seat and after three races he's uh, teaching Haas legend Kevin Magnussen a bit of a lesson but do you think this will continue and uh, are you surprised because for one I definitely am I was a little bit surprised uh, uh, but to be fair if you look at the pattern in Haas drivers you will see that the the new driver tends to do better because I mean look look we had Mick Schumacher beating Nikita Mazepin and then uh, Kevin Magnussen comes in and beats Mick Schumacher. And now Nico Hulkenberg is in and is now beating Kevin Magnussen. So I'm now expecting uh, a new driver to come in and beat him. So I don't know. But let's let's go with Daniel Ricciardo joining Haas um, next next year. And why am I saying next year? Well, because, you know, Kevin Magnussen, um, his, his deal runs into the end of, of 2023. Now, hmm. they may well 
not drop him then, but they could have the option to. And um, Daniel Ricciardo is uh, at the moment a free agent, although well, no, he go to Haas is a is another another matter. I think uh, Hulkenberg has has shown certainly me um, up a little bit because I was skeptical of of him coming back into the sport given his dubious levels of success in the sport to date especially with Renault um I won't forgive him in, in Germany for for well ditching his car his Renault car into the into the gravel and missing out on I think his best ever opportunity for a podium and unfortunately that was one of the reasons why he eventually got uh, sacked from that team but he has come in. He has demonstrated to everyone how good he is. I'm not sure what's going on with Kevin Magnussen at the moment. He's only sitting pretty on one point. Um, as you say, Tom, in, in, in 17th place. I was expecting more from him this year, but I think he's had a, a little bit of bit of bad luck. And Hulkenberg is capitalizing on that, that very, very early um, success you know, I, and unfortunately, it's just one of those cases where we have such a small sample size at the moment. I think we're, we may be reading slightly too much into this. Um, and we may have to wait till the end of the season before we cast judgment. But there's no getting away from it. I think this year has have got a solid lineup of, of drivers. And if I was uh, Gunter Steiner, and I have actually just bought his book, by the way, so I look forward to reading that and telling you all about it in not that long. And <laughs> um, once it gets to me on the 20th of uh, this month. Uh, if I was going to Steiner, I would keep those two drivers. I think they seem to be playing quite nicely at the moment. They both have the talent where it's needed. And to be honest, it's only race three. You you shouldn't be thinking about sacking a driver after um, just three races of a season because things can go topsy-turvy very quickly. Just look at Charles Leclerc last year. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect Hulkenberg to be doing this well, especially as... I think in November last year, when they decided to employ him, I distinctly called him an underwhelming signing. Um, <laughs> shows what I, I know. Um, but no, he's made a, he's made a very good start. I um, I made the um, the comment off um, off the record last week about how I hadn't realised that he'd outqualified Magnussen three nil so far in qualif- in uh, qualifying. Um, obviously the um. The seventh place he got in Australia, which could have been fourth had the restart procedure been conducted differently or the results been done differently, um, has proven the fruits of his uh, his labour. And I think that Haas wanted that experienced lineup, didn't they? Um, after Schumacher cost them however many millions or whatever it was in uh, in Prangs last year, um, and they've got that now. And I, to be honest, I think this is. A positive headache for Haas. I would say that Magnussen is a driver who came in last year after a year out of the sport. He was solid. He got, it seems years ago now, but he got that pole position in Brazil, in Brazil lest we forget. Um, and if you've got Magnussen, who arguably at the moment, I'd agree, is like having a slow start. Um, if he's having a slow start and you've got Hulkenberg who's had what other than those couple of races where he was a COVID substitute, he's had three years out of the sport. So if Hulkenberg is able to come in and be strong from the get-go, hit the ground running, then Haas, I'd say, would be pretty content because you've got a scenario where he's Hulkenberg's made a strong start and if Magnussen can regain his best form, then you've got a, a strong lineup there that if you look at their current position... I know we're at, it's early doors, but one point ahead of Alfa Romeo, one point behind Alpine, 
sat there in seventh in the constructors. Who knows? There could be a a solid year on for Haas, a solid being above their usual eighth or ninth place. So I think it's a positive headache for Haas at the moment. Interesting. To answer my own question, I personally am surprised. And I do think this is my sort of hot take, if you will, of the episode. I think it's going to stay as is. Basically, Hulkenberg will beat Magnussen. I'm not sure if the gap will be five points come the end. But when you're a team like Haas, who's in P7, I don't think they'll rise any higher owing to how good the Alpine car is compared to theirs and also the quality of driver they have. couple as well with uh, McLaren scoring some really decent points. I think 7th is probably their tops in a very competitive midfield. And when you consider that, you've got to think to yourself, there's going to be few chances for Kevin Magnussen to go and a beat Hulkenberg or B beat him to such the point where he gets five points over him and then Hulkenberg doesn't come back with some sort of retort if you will so I think we're going to go and see Hulkenberg beat Magnussen but as we see in other teams gone by as well if let's say driver two beats driver one and I'm not saying there is a hierarchy in Haas but I imagine going into this one they thought Magnussen would be the point scorer and Hulkenberg would be an improvement on Mick Schumacher but perhaps not much more than that when driver two beats driver one, it's not the end of the world. We saw with uh, Ferrari, for example, Carlos Sainz beats Leclerc, and everyone thought, oh my God, this guy, this second driver, is beating the new Michael Schumacher. How dare he? And then everyone moved on. So I think it's a case of basically, it's not going to be consequential if uh, Hulkenberg does beat Magnussen for Magnussen's sake. But it is an early wake-up call, I think, for him to go, you know, you were the future once, uh, so to speak, and um, it's not a given that just because there's a new driver coming in, he's been out of the sport in a permanent sense for a long time, last year pre-COVID, in terms of having a seat to himself, that you're going to go and win the day. So um, I agree with Ang, it's a positive headache, but he's hoping that um, the relationship between the two will, will remain cordial after the makeup, if you will, between the two after that famous incident. And uh, it doesn't get a bit ratty where Magnussen perhaps tries too hard to go and beat Hulkenberg and get one over him. But um, could there be trouble brewing if the gap winds or stays as is? Or is that speculation and speculation? I don't think so. I think anyone driving for Haas would be doing so because not only do they love Formula One, but they, they also want the team to do well. It's a bit like that relationship that uh, I think a lot of drivers develop when they're in a team that is, you know, not, not fighting for, for the championship. They're fighting for just the simple victories. Like, you know, Williams, for example, you start playing a bit more like a team, you'd hope. And I don't think there'll be trouble ahead. I think genuinely both drivers would be super ecstatic if either of them, you know, got a podium. Imagine a win. They would just, you know, be nuts. So I can't see I can't see them at the moment running to problems. The only problems really start to occur when the both drivers are fighting for a, a real prominent place of success. Like if let's say Magnussen and Hulkenberg are fighting for third place, uh then disaster can strike. But at the moment, they've got cool heads. They are they're pushing the Hasses along, the the Hass team along, and Gunter seems happy. I mean, we never hear from uh, Gene Haas. Uh, so who knows whether or not Gene <laughs> yeah. Haas is happy. I think he's probably not that happy, given that he's poured hundreds of millions of dollars worth into this team. And, you know, let's face it, it's not necessarily the success um, he thought it would be. I like to think that Gene Haas sits in his massive swimming pool, you know, relaying in his head, oh, Haas wins the world championship. <laughs> you know, that's the, and it's just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> never going to happen. Um, so I think I think the, the team... Well, I say never. Not going to happen yet. But I think the 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 drivers are really just you know 
pushing as hard as they can for the little victories and the victories that I think sometimes mean mean the most. You're never going to forget your first po- your first podium, your first pole position, your first race win. Um, and so, yeah, I think we saw how ecstatic the whole team was when last year Kevin Magnussen got that pole position. So I think those are the things the team are going for. And I can't see the collective good spirit leaving the team just yet. And on that note, it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 9 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or elsewhere. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and on TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review. And racing isn't back next week, but we will be. We'll be back to discuss where we could have gone in this dead spot of three weeks after the Chinese Grand Prix was cancelled. And we'll be looking forward to racing returning, this being round four, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix where we return to Baku once again where we'll be seeing the first sprint race there at least and seeing what carnage that will bring up and uh, what good racing it will hopefully produce as well but thank you very much for listening and as I say we'll be back next week to discuss all of the above and I'm sure a lot more. See you later. Goodbye.